if you can remember, we started 2021 talking about rest. And um, if you are with us and the need to learn a rest in whole new ways. And um, Paul brought a, a word at the start of last year all about the need to learn to enter rest. And he said this. Can you put it up, Matt, because it's still loading on my phone. This is what Paul said uh, at the beginning of 2021. During this next year, I believe each of, un- each of us will have to enter rest in a whole new dimension. We have to learn to rest in him, be in him, and live in and out of him, find our source in him. We have to find the rest of faith and lean our head on the pillow in the midst of the windstorm. And... Um, some of that stuff came from this passage in Mark 4. And I, I want to go back to it because I, I feel like, although we talked quite a bit into it and talked a little bit about it, I feel like we've still got a little way to go. And I feel like there's still lots to learn. And I feel like there's still lots to give in it. So let me just, let me just read it to you. This is from uh, the Passion Translation. Later that day, after it grew dark, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. After they had sent the crowd away, they shoved off from shore with him as he had been teaching from the boat, and there were other boats that sailed with him. Suddenly, as they were crossing the lake, a ferocious tempest arose with violent winds and waves that were crashing into the boat, and it was all but swamped. But Jesus was calmly sleeping in the stern, resting on a cushion. So they shook him awake, saying, Teacher, don't you even care that we're all about to die? Fully awake... He rebuked the storm and shouted to the sea, hush, calm down. All at once the wind stopped howling and the water became perfectly calm. Then he turned to his disciples and said to them, why are you so afraid? Haven't you learned to trust yet? Um, I have a talent for sleeping. I'm actually really good at it, Um, which I'm quite proud of. uh, cars, aeroplanes, boats, airports, occasionally in my office. Uh, not unusual for fair to say tea's ready and then wonder where I am and to find me in the lounge with a book kind of collapsed on me uh, having a little siesta, which apparently is good for you, but there you go. Um, what I've realized about this story, so Jesus is calmly sleeping in the midst of the, this most ferocious storm. And of course, lots of times... In terms of the story, the focus is on him moving in faith and commanding the wind and waves to die down and all that. But as I've spent more and more time meditating on this story, I am in awe of a man who can sleep calmly in a ferocious storm in a small boat which is almost drunk with water. I don't know which is more impressive. The fact that he's fast asleep, and there's this, these are fishermen, half of them in this boat, this is not... It's not like, you know, they used to a little trip out. This is a proper squall, unlike Galilee. It's terrifying, and he is still managing to have a kip. I think that's more impressive than the kind of standing up and staying stop. Because I don't know about you, but it doesn't take much for many people to not be asleep. It doesn't take much to keep people awake at night. So the fact that we don't sleep very well when there's just a few little stresses going on, but he's managing to sleep in the midst of this massive storm, tells me something about Jesus that I am intrigued about. I also find it really interesting that he's, he sleeps calmly first, and then he speaks to this external storm. So Jesus is in this place where he's so at rest and peace that despite the storm, he sleeps calmly. 
And of course, this physical storm in the story is a metaphor for all the storms in our lives, all the things in our lives that make us feel like we're swamped, like we're about to drown. Um, all the things that make you feel like you just can't keep your head above water. Uh, the winds of anxiety, the waves of disappointment, the crushing power of rejection, the gales of fear, the torrential rain of failure, all these things that come at us. It's really all a picture for me of that. And of course, for me, this story is not just a nice story about Jesus taking a boat trip. It's actually about what it takes to still the storms. It's actually about how we can still the storms in our lives and, and how we actually do that. I think it gives us a pattern and a principle to follow in how we're able to do that. But you've got to watch carefully because most of the time we get it the wrong way around. So, so we want the storm on the outside to calm down so we can sleep and get a rest and a break. So most of us go, I wish this had all just calmed down so I can get a good night's kip. But for Jesus, it's the other way around. For Jesus, he's sleeping in the storm because he's found rest and peace despite the chaos that's going on around him. And then he's able to speak to the stuff that's going on outside and it responds instantly. Jesus comes from a place of rest and then quells the storm we want the storm to stop so we can rest. That's generally how we think about it. But Jesus shows us it's actually meant to be the other way around. And of course, by outside, I mean all the things that are external to us, jobs, finance, friends, relationships, possessions, all the things that are outside of us. But I think here Jesus shows us that the key is learning to rest from the inside so you can quell the storms on the outside. And then even if they're not quelled, you can still be at rest. Because who knows that once, once this storm's passed, another one's just around the corner anyway. So this idea, and I'm, I'm going to talk about later on, that we, we live life trying to wait for the storm to pass is a bit ridiculous because there's just another one around the corner. It's not really a sensible or even logical way to, to live. But Jesus is resting with his head on the pillow, and then he speaks to the storm outside of him. He'd quieted the storms on the inside of him, which meant he could quiet the storms on the outside of him. I want to suggest to you that you won't calm the storms on the outside unless you've spent time resting in Jesus, calming the storms on the inside. But I think most of us get caught up in spending a lot of energy calming the outside storms, running here, there, and there to make sure we've got money to do this, trying to sort this relationship out, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to do the other, trying to fix this. A lot of our prayer life, a lot of our prayer words goes into trying to get all this outside stuff to be fixed. Sit in a prayer, most prayer meetings, and just listen. Most of it will be about, please make this, these external things all okay. And there's nothing wrong with that in a sense, because God's into that. But actually, as I'll show you in a minute, well, we won't. Uh, actually, it's probably not Jesus' primary focus. We still get caught up on calming the storms outside of us, putting everything outside right, rather than enjoying the calm on the inside. Um, because what you get a lot of the time is many people trying to calm a storm with a storm. So you get people coming along. You, you know, if you get two people who are upset and they try and calm each other down, they just both get more upset, don't they? It's why a lot of the time you've just got to walk away, calm down, and then come back. But, but when you get somebody who's kind of anxious and agitated on the inside, they try and calm somebody else down, well, it just gets worse. It's like two tornadoes coming together to create one giant one. The only way it can calm down is when one person chooses to stop operating from the storm and start operating from a different place. But this, this idea of calming the storm on the inside, I think is very counterintuitive for many of us because most of us are hardwired to fix things. 
We want things fixed. We want things put right. And we want to feel like we're doing something to put them right. So uh, even if that means doing something in our praying, we want to know that we've shouted and praised and declared and proclaimed and felt like we're doing something. And of course, part of the journey of, of learning to pray is learning to do that. It's learning to spend some time having kind of really stormed heaven, if you like, and started to declare the truth and brought the kingdom to earth. And that's part of praying. And it's important that you go on a journey and learn that. But I think then there is another part, which is just laying your head on the pillow and resting and trusting that Jesus has got it. That is much harder because it feels like you are doing nothing. And that's hard because we want to do something. But of course, and, and, and it's... There's a wisdom I know when to do each because each is necessary. But I think there's a place to learn. So, so there's many times I've come down here and I've walked up and down or I've been in my cellar room or my house and I've prayed and I've declared and I've spoken tongues and I've sung and I've done all that. And I've, I've done that and I can do that and I do do that. But then I'm learning that sometimes the other day I came in and I just literally got two pillows out of there and I just put my head and laid on the floor for half an hour. I had a, but it wasn't easy to do because I was aware of all these things are going on that I want to fix and I want to see something different and I want to see something change. But actually, I'm learning, okay, but maybe I've got to learn to just rest in him and trust that in the half an hour, 45 minutes. And I, I had some like worship music going and I was like, I don't know whether I was asleep or not. I was kind of like in this place of like, I'm not quite sure whether I was asleep or not. I don't really know. But I'm just going, okay, at some point, We've got to come to this place where, okay, I've done my fighting. I've done everything I know to do. I've prayed, I've declared, I've confessed, I've written it out, I've told him, I've done all that. Then, okay, what's next? Well, now maybe I've just got to rest. But it's incredibly difficult. For most people, the hardest thing in the world is to see all the storms on the outside, see people we love hurting and in pain, and for us to rest our head on the pillow. That's tough. But that is what Jesus does. That's what he's doing in this story. He loves the disciples. He cares for them deeply. And they are terrified. But Jesus goes, I actually know where the power is. The power is in me resting in Father. And being in that place. That's where the power is. Jesus knows that to calm the external storm, he's got to find rest in his Father. So he's not doing anything He's not sat in the back praying in tongues, desperately hoping this storm will come. He's learning to rest in Father. And I think we're going to have to get the truth into our heads that time in silence, simply with him, just resting our head on the pillow, sometimes literally, is potentially the most powerful thing we can do at times. Now, of course, for some people, that can be like, oh, great, I don't have to do it. But I'm talking to people who have learned how to do those other things. Because you've got to come through to this place of, if you've not yet learned to fight and battle and walk up and down for an hour or two, praying in tongues until you're exhausted, well, you've got to get to that point before you can rest first. So some people have got to learn to do that, to actually fight and bring heaven to earth for other people and for themselves. That's important. But then you've got to learn to go, okay, well, now, having done that, okay, I'm just going to trust him then. I'm going to trust that I've, he's heard me and it's done. Okay, let's walk through this passage. We're going to stop in a little minute and have a little break and listen to a song and then we're going to do some more. So, 
Later that day, after it grew dark, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. It's already been a, a busy day. Uh, Jesus has talked about the parable of the sower, a lamp on a stand, the parable of the seed, the parable of the mustard seed, and tons of other parables. So Jesus had a full day teaching. This has been a full-on day, um, and it's already gone dark. So I'm guessing the disciples are like, great, time to go home. We've had a busy day. We've been doing this. We've been listening to Jesus. And then Jesus goes, we're not going home. We're going to go to the other side. So this whole story starts with going somewhere different. It's about crossing over at the other side, which, of course, this is what you've got to know. Jesus always wants to take you somewhere new. He's always looking to take you somewhere else, but it's very rarely a comfortable journey and often not taken at times that seem convenient. Often not taken at times that seem convenient. The shad. I mean, Jesus is probably martyred. He's the one that's been teaching. But they've been sat listening all day, doing goodness only knows what they did when he was teaching all day. Um, but, like, it's not convenient. It's already dark. And now he's going, no, we're going to go somewhere else now. Often we want a rest, a break, a time off. I mean, we just want to go, oh, okay, Lord, I've learned that lesson now. Let's just have a few weeks where we can just chill out together. But I think that's where the disciples are. And Jesus goes, nope, come on, we're off. Listen, Jesus is too passionate about you becoming like him to give you a day off. Jesus is too passionate about you becoming like him to give you a day off. He loves you too much to give you a day off from becoming like him. He loves you too much to give you a few weeks off from being changed to glory to glory, if that's what you're after. He's too passionate about you becoming like him to give you a day off. I mean, can you imagine what it were like with Jesus? You don't think they just kind of sat around all the time, do you? Always on the go, always being provoked, always hearing new things. And that this journey will never stop. Jesus will always keep inviting you deeper and deeper into the journey of being like him. And that is a wonderful thing. Because when you become like him, it's just wonderful, isn't it? I know it doesn't feel wonderful all the time, but actually it is fantastic. I don't always feel like I'm enjoying the journey he's got me on because I don't always like it. But at the end of the day, I go, okay, Lord, well, I have said I want to be like you, and the quicker I'm like you, the more I benefit, and the more everybody else benefits, so that's a wonderful thing. He's too passionate about you becoming like him to give you a day off. Notice as well, they set off after it grew dark. So this wouldn't have been a big deal for the fishermen. They'd have been used to being on the lake in the dark. That's when they fished. But I am fascinated that this little detail is left in. Because whenever Jesus takes us somewhere new, it often feels dark somehow. In the sense that it's not often fun or full of delight and joy. They're making a journey to somewhere new, but it's a journey in the dark. The most transformative journeys nearly always take place in the dark. They nearly always take place in what feels like a dark and lonely place, which we don't like, but in truth, they are almost always the places of our greatest breakthroughs. Nearly always, they are the places of our greatest breakthroughs. So after a busy day, after it's already gone dark, Jesus says, right, come on, we're off somewhere else now. And perhaps when his disciples expected to get an early night, he speaks and leads them somewhere else. But of course, Jesus is always wanting to lead you on. He's always wanting to speak. He's always wanting to take you somewhere else. The question is not whether he's wanting to take you somewhere. The day is never done for Jesus in speaking to you about something new. It's never like, well, we've had a conversation this morning, so that's it now. Actually, 
every moment of every day he's wanting isn't he, to talk, to lead you, to take you somewhere else, even after it's gone to hack, even at the end of the day, even when it's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to chill out now. After they had sent the crowd away, they shoved off from shore with him as they had been teaching from the boats, and there were other boats that sailed with him. This journey with Jesus will involve sending the crowd away. Because this journey that Jesus wants to take you on involves you and him. Yes, it involves other people and they're vital, but primarily it involves you and him. Because what we really need to experience is the reality of Jesus in all his fullness. And you don't get that by constantly being with other people because we take the easy option and draw from them. That's what we do all the time. Because it's much easier to draw from people you can see than it is somebody you can't see. But as I was saying this morning, my prayer, and as we've been praying together as a, as a church, is that we actually get to know Jesus so he's as real as the person next to us right now. So that, that, that sense that you know somebody's next to you and you can sense them and smell them and you're just aware of the presence, I want to know Jesus like that. I want to know that every moment of the day he's right next to me in the same way I'd know it. If they followed me around all day, I'd know she were there. But that's, that's my prayer because I think that's where we're meant to be. That's where I want to be. I want to know that he's there all the time, enjoying everything and being together with him. So, of course, you need the crowd, you need friends, you need loved ones, of course. But to experience Jesus, you also need times when there's just you and him, and you cannot be tempted to draw from the people around you. Because otherwise, especially if there's people in your life who, who, who have got Jesus and carry Jesus, well, it's just, it's just easier to go to them. And we're human beings, so we take the easy route. And that's okay, and there's part of that, and there's a process of that. But as I've said before, actually, the best people who are helping you grow up sometimes go, okay, that's great. Go away and meet him on your own now. Go and find him. So at the same time as drawing away from the crowd, we also read, though, there were other boats that sailed with them. So as well as drawing away, you also need to know there are others on this journey with you. So you're not journeying alone, although you will have to spend some time of it just with him on your own, but you have others who are with you and for you and around you. We've got to have both to make sure we're getting the balance right between the two. It's really, really important. And there's not, again, it's great we can draw off each other and we need each other, but at the same time, if we're not learning to fall more and more in love with Jesus, then there's a problem. We're meant to fall more in love with each other. That's fantastic. And we're meant to need each other more and, and be blessed with each other. But if we're only falling more and more in love with other people and not more in love with the person of Jesus, there's something not right. It's meant to be both. And of course, it's much easier in one sense to fall in love with other people. And that's fantastic. And that's community and family and, that, and, and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters. And that's all great. But actually, we've got to go, okay, how much... Am I more in love with Jesus? You're meant to be more in love with other people as well, but just with Jesus. And I always kind of, when I ask myself that question, I'm always like, okay, there's still a, there's still a work to do there. So I want to play this song. It's called Just Want You by Blonde Company. And I want you, well, you can see it however you want, but when I hear and listen to songs like this, and it's perhaps not the fullness of my lived experience, I use it as a prayer. So I use it as a prayer. I go, okay, this might not be the fullness of my lived experience, 
but I want it to be. So as you listen, if this is not the fullness of, of where you are at on a daily basis, it's where your spirit wants to be, and it's where your heart wants to be. So don't, don't think, oh, well, I'm not there. Yeah, well, nobody's there, because it's like, yeah, nobody's there. But just, just use it as a prayer, and just reflect on, on what I've said so far as we, as we listen to it. Thanks, man. I just love it. It's beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. Suddenly, as they were crossing the lake, a ferocious tempest arose with violent winds and waves that were crashing into the boat until it was all but swamped. So, it's already dark, they're already tired, and now atop it all is a great storm that appears. Life doesn't get easier, they don't get a rest, it actually gets harder, which is what we call life. Because, uh, of course, we can't control many of the storms on the outside of us. We can't control often our financial situation, our housing situation, our work situation, our relationships. In truth, we can't control any of it as much as we like to think we can and often try to. In truth, very little in your life is in your control, as much as you try and control it. In truth, life is quite insecure. And, of course, Jesus said very little about life uh, our external life and it actually been secure or easy. In fact, he said this, and everything I've taught you, just think about this, everything I have taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. So everything he said, the whole point of it is that the peace which he has got, you will have, and that when you get that peace, you'll have great confidence as you rest in him. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous for I've conquered the world. Okay, so Jesus does not offer to take away the trouble and sorrow, the pain and the hardship. Sadly, that is not what he's initially on offer. Although he does do that. Through the peace that he gives, he does do that. But what's on offer is a peace so out of this world that you can sleep calmly in the midst of a ferocious storm. What is primarily on offer is not the stopping of the storm's raging, but the calming of the internal storms. That is primarily what Jesus offers. We live with these, frankly, ridiculous ideas that if only God would sort this issue out, then all our trouble would be gone, which is a complete and utter ridiculous fantasy. But we all live with it, and everybody thinks it, but when you actually think about it, it's a ridiculous fantasy. Because the solution of every problem simply leads to another problem that needs to be solved. The solution of every problem simply leads to another problem that needs to be solved. But we'll get back to that in a minute. But the only solution to a problem, to the real problem, is to come to a place where the peace which is in Jesus is in you. And you experience great confidence as you rest in Jesus. Because that, you do have the ability to control. You do have the ability to control the peace in your heart. You do have the ability to come to a place of rest in the middle of the storms. And that is what the kingdom life is actually all about. The kingdom life is about coming to a place where you become secure, significant, and know your self-worth to such a degree that no matter what happens externally, you can sleep well. That's actually the truth of the kingdom. 
And because from that place, you can transform the world very easily because very few people are like that. Very few people are a non-anxious, non-judgmental presence in the world. Very few people are able to walk into a situation which is chaos and actually ooze calm into that situation. But that really is what the kingdom is meant to be all about. People who have grown up enough and know enough about them and Jesus to be able to walk into any scenario and people go, whoo, calm just arrived. Because nothing else anywhere in the world offers that. Nowhere. And of course, the process by which that happens is called discipleship. That's really what discipleship is. It's about, and it's not about talking about all the external storms and trying to get solutions for the external storms. It's not at its depth about sharing about money or relationships or jobs or kids or parents. Actually, it's about internal storms. True discipleship is about calming these things, the, the floods of fear, the typhoons of trepidation, the rivers of rejection, the tsunamis of terror, the avalanches of arrogance, the blizzards of brokenness. I had a lot of fun making up this list. The fires of failure. Like, it, that's really what it means to be discipled. It means that you actually start to calm these things on the inside of you because then, first of all, when you see the external storms, you're able to look at them from a place of peace which means you can actually work out what's going on because you're not in chaos. You see, if church is about just talking about all the external storms, well, really, you're just another self-help group, aren't you? It's just another self-help group. If you're just going to talk about, well, I've got this problem with my kids. Oh, well, I know. I've seen this great blog post over here. Let's sort it out this way. Or, oh, let's go to Martin Lewis to sort our finances out. I mean, all great things, but actually... We're meant to be sorting out the things in our hearts. That's what the kingdom offers. That's what the, what's different about the kingdom. What sets the kingdom apart, what makes it unique, is that we can have our internal storms quelled. So no matter what external storm suddenly appears, we no longer need to be terrified. Jesus was calmly sleeping in the stern, resting on a cushion. So they shook him awake, saying, Teacher, don't you even care we're all about to die? Fully awake, he rebuked the storm and shouted to the sea, hush calm, all at once it stopped howling and the water became perfectly calm. Okay, we're going to get back to the calmly sleeping a bit later on, but for now I want to walk through how Jesus did this because there's some steps in these few words that are really key to you learn to calm your storms. So first of all, it says this, he was fully awake. So the first thing you've got to do is become fully awake to the reality of the storm. You cannot calm a storm you are unaware of. And you can't do anything about something you're unaware of. So the first of all, you've got to become aware of the storms that rage within us. We've got to become aware of our doubts and our fears, our pride and our arrogance, our lusts and our loathings, and actually accept them as storms within us. This is what most people don't do. So they think that because they know Jesus and because they're in the church and because they're doing this, then they can't admit to having all these storms, so they pretend they're not there. Okay, well, that just means you're not going to deal with it because you're not aware of it. But actually, you've got to become fully awake to it. And, and by fully awake, it means actually staring it down and looking at it. And this is the whole thing about uh, Lazarus and Jesus at the tomb. Because Lazarus is dead, he's in the tomb, and Jesus wants to raise him to life. And uh, Martha or Mary, one of them, I can't remember which, and goes, but it's going to smell. Yeah, too right, it's going to stink. 
And if you want to see resurrection, Mary, you're going to have to put up with the stink because you've got to look at the death to get the resurrection. And if you're not willing to enjoy the stink, you won't see the resurrection. That's why most Christians don't see transformation in their lives because it's not about Jesus being willing to resurrect it. It's about their ability to enjoy the stench whilst it gets resurrected. That's the issue for nearly everybody. Are you willing to cope with the stench whilst it gets resurrected? And that's where most people get stuck because they're either ashamed of it, which is ridiculous really because we've all got stuff that stinks, um, but of course, you've got to be in a community that's able to cope with each other's stench, I guess. <laughs> um, but also because uh, it's painful. It's painful to look at. Because what, what people forget, though, is it, it's already causing pain because it's already there. Just because you're not looking at it doesn't mean it ain't causing you pain. It is causing pain. It is causing issues in the family, in your life, in your friends' lives. It is causing issues. But of course, when you look at it, then you're all right. And of course, one of the reasons we find it so hard is we still haven't grasped what it means to rest and trust. So Jesus, at the end of the story, says this, Why are you so afraid? Which is a brilliant question. Haven't you learned to trust yet? I was reading these uh, verses earlier this week, and I felt like God said, well, Answer it, Adam. Why, what are you afraid of? And I wrote down a few things, which was scary to write them down because I didn't think I was afraid of them. I think I wrote, what did I write now? Actually, Adam, I think one of it was, I'm scared of being irrelevant, and I was scared of being alone, and I was scared of missing it. And I just wrote it, and then I was like, oh, flipping heck, I didn't think I was scared of that. But that's what I mean by being fully awake. You've got to write it, and then you've got to share it. If you're stupid, you tell 30 people, 20 people like me. But, and you put it online to tell people as well. But I don't really care because I love being fully awake. I actually love being fully awake. I constantly tell Jesus that I want him to shine everything out because I love things being in the light. I just, I love it to bits. I don't understand why you wouldn't want stuff to be in the light. Because once it's in the light, the enemy can't touch it. It's so good knowing he can't touch me. Because everything I know about is in the light. It's shared with Jesus. It's shared with somebody else. All of it. And I'm like, okay. It's a beautiful place to be. Um, so we've got to go on this journey of becoming fully awake. And of course, it's normal that we're afraid of some things. Everybody in this room is scared of some things. And of course, you can say it's spiders, and that might well be true. But actually, no, there are some things about the future that you're afraid of. There's some things about what's going on that you're afraid of. And that's okay. What's not okay is to go, no, I'm not scared of anything. Oh, well, now you've just been an idiot. Sorry, but you are because everybody is. And you're not helping yourself and you're not letting Jesus in. But we've got to become aware of it. What, what are we afraid of? It's very normal that we're afraid. Of course, there are areas of life where we're yet to learn to trust him in. Are there areas we have learned? Yes. In, in the um, NIV in which I was originally reading it, it says, do you still have no faith? And of course, and he asked me that question as well. I was like, well, no, I know faith, God, because I've, I've, I've seen this and I've seen that and I've seen this and I've, I've seen all these things. But actually for this, have I got faith? Well, um, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But that's okay. Let's just become fully awake to reality. Because un until we become fully awake to, our own awake to our own realities, it's almost impossible for the storms to be calmed. And, and here's the thing, 
particularly if you've been journeying with Jesus for a while and you've dealt with lots of fears and you've learned to trust in many areas, sometimes it can feel very disconcerting to have to admit to your fears and lack of trust because it feels like you're going backwards. And, and we get sold a lie that we should be in this place now. Well, I've known Jesus for so long, so I should be here. But really, we should just get rid of that word should from the dictionary because it's useless. It's a useless word. It doesn't mean anything. What, what does it even... I should. Why? Who says? Because in, in truth, whether you should or you shouldn't, you do or you don't. And that's what's important. There should be. It's not, not pretty irrelevant. The issue is you do or you don't, and that's okay. But we've got to face this reality and let Jesus into it. We've got to admit to ourselves, Jesus, and somebody we're walking with, why it is we're so scared of. And the reason why it's so important is that when you do it, you can bring it to him. You can take it to him. You can share it with him and let him know that even though this terrifies you, you will keep walking, you will keep moving forward, you will keep listening, and you will keep obeying his voice. And right there, that is faith. Right there, that's faith. Okay, Lord, I've got this fear. And I'm scared about this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right there, that is faith. Faith is not believing that you've got it all sorted and not worrying about it. Faith is keeping walking even though you are worrying about it. That's what it means to trust him. Despite the fear and the trepidation, you are moving forwards. Despite the fact you feel like you're nearly swamped, you're not going to jump overboard and abandon ship. Trusting him means you make a choice to stay in the boat, even though you feel like you're swamped. And you realize in this story, it says it was almost swamped. It never actually got swamped, and it never actually went down. Jesus did not allow the boat to sink. It just felt like it was sinking. But it wasn't. He will never let you sink. He'll never let you sink. But you might feel like you are. Okay, back to Jesus calmly sleeping. Then he says this, he rebuked the storm and shouted to the sea, hush, calm. So he actually spoke to it, but here's the thing, he could speak to it because he was in the place of calm. It's very difficult for us to calm our own internal storms because we've already seen that storms speaking to storms just generate more storms. So initially it's quite hard for you to speak to your own storm. Um, Although that doesn't mean to say you should, but sometimes our internal storms can be seized by somebody who carries calm speaking into them. It needs somebody who actually is calm to speak into them. And that's why we need each other. It's why we need to share and journey with somebody who can speak some calm into our storm. It's why, again, walking with somebody is so important. And of course, the more calm you find in your own life, the easier it is to speak to the storms that remain. But you might still need other people to help you identify what those storms are, because it's not always obvious. Or how we're meant to go about calming them, because different storms get calmed in different ways. But eventually, hopefully, we get to a point where we can identify the storms in ourselves, and we have enough calm in us to speak to those storms. Um, that's the end goal. But lots of people don't generally have enough to speak to it themselves, and that's okay. That's why we need each other. Um, he says, all at once the wind stopped howling and the water became perfectly calm. So here's the thing. When somebody comes along, whether that be Jesus himself, because you hear him, or whether somebody talks to you or helps you, comes along and calms your storm and speaks words of reassurance and calm, you can either keep the storm going or you can let it be calmed. 
Because if you're not careful, you can keep the storm going when Jesus has already calmed it. It's more than possible for somebody to come along and go, okay, hush, calm. But if you keep it going in your own mind, in your own head, it will keep going. We've got to choose to listen to those words and choose to receive them and agree with them and thank God for them. Sometimes you've got to literally just kind of do something different to just sit down or just go, okay, I'm receiving that. I'm, I'm, whenever anybody prays for me, I am always going, thank you, Jesus. I receive it. I welcome it. I'm always actively taking it inside me. I'm never just in silence going, oh, yeah, or thinking, Nipping eggs, a bit of rubbish prayer. We should pray about this thing. I'm just going, no, no, I, I receive it. I want it. Okay, so in, um, it, it doesn't say it in the Passion Translation, but in the NIV it says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, which is a really interesting turn of phrase, just as he was. Because just as he is, he's not always what you'd want him to be. So Jesus, just as he is, I suppose it's this idea. Of we've, we've got to take him as he is, not as we want him to be. We must be careful we don't take him in our image and the image of the one we would like him to be, but actually as he is. Because Jesus doesn't always turn up how you'd like him to turn up. He doesn't always turn up when you'd like him to turn up or in the way you'd like him to turn up or through the person you'd like him to turn up in. As he is means he often challenges our conceptions and ideas, what we think is possible, even what we think is right or wrong. And of course, everybody wants Jesus to turn up and Holy Spirit to do incredible things, which he does. But what they forget is the mess that that brings. I have been around four births, and they're all messy. I mean, births are not clean, tidy things. One was an emergency cesarean, and one was a water birth, and two others were natural. I mean, they're all natural, aren't they? But anyways, do you know what I mean? But like, whenever something new comes into the earth, when a new human being appears, it's a mess, man. It's just a mess from start to finish, isn't it? But we think Jesus is going to turn up and it's going to be nice and neat and tidy. But he shows us in nature that birthing new things is messy. New things couldn't... I mean, if you read your Bible, you realize Jesus made a mess everywhere he went. Just, just think about it. Because um, he healed people whose only income was from begging... But now they couldn't beg because they were healed. And some of them were ill from birth, so knew nothing different. No skills, no way of earning money. Okay, well, that's a mess, isn't it? He can't go sit with his begging friends anymore because he can't beg. What, what, what a mess. What about his friends who begged with him? What about his family? And this is what I mean when I say the solution of every problem simply leads to another problem that needs to be solved. What, what do you do when a man has been chained up his whole life to stop him hurting people and stop him hurting himself, literally in chains, instantly gets healed? Well, which of the church families going to have him around for tea then tomorrow night? Like, every solution just brings another problem. What's he going to do? How's he going to earn? What's going to happen? Think about the time some men broke through a roof to lower their lay in front of Jesus and the mess they left. Jesus says nothing about the mess. Because, oh yeah, this is great. You've just ripped somebody's roof off. There's dust everywhere. There's a great big hole in the roof. And Jesus just seemingly thinks that's fine. The solution of every problem simply leads to another problem that needs to be solved. 
other than one solution and one problem. But if you really want the kingdom of God to come, we've got to be prepared for it to get messy. Because if you have to clean lines and clear delineated boxes in the same structured response to the same headline, then I think you're going to be very disappointed in the coming uh, months and years. Because I think if you want to see the kingdom come, if you want that more than simple, cute answers and doing things like has gone before, we'll have to learn to embrace the mess. But in, in the embracing of the mess, let's work on solving our biggest problem. Because our greatest problem is our ability to rest in him and allow his peace to flood our soul. That is problem number one. And yet, most of us don't spend very much time trying to solve that problem because we're trying to solve all the other problems that we've got. But perhaps if we spent some time solving this problem, all the other problems would be a lot easier to solve or at least live with. Because this is the only problem you can solve that does not lead to another problem that needs to be solved. Everything else. One day you've got no money, you've got some problems. Next day you've tons of money, you've just got a different set of problems. Now you might think it's a nicer set of problems, but it's still just another set of problems. You're single, you've got a lot of problems. You get married, you've got a lot of different problems. You're married, you've got a lot of problems. You become single, you've got a different set of problems. Every solution just becomes a different problem. That's the reality of it. But, but this, this peace in your heart is the only problem that when solved doesn't create any further problems to be solved. And again, Jesus, everything I've taught you, everything I've taught you, is so peace which is in me will be in you and give you great confidence as you rest in me. So the answer is not finding a solution to your external problem because that just creates another external problem. The answer is allowing his peace to fill your heart so you have great confidence as you rest in him. Perhaps the best problem to solve then might be the problem of the lack of peace in you. It might be the stilling of the storm in your heart. We've got to become fully awake to it. We've got to speak to it or find somebody who can speak to it with us and then listen and receive it. That's the process Jesus shows. But perhaps we've got to make that storm the one where I aim it still over and above any other storm. Perhaps it's this problem we've got to solve more than any other. And perhaps when we start to calm this storm, we'll have the ability to calm other storms around us. And even if they keep raging, we'll be able to sleep calmly anywhere. And I have, I have realized that despite all the stuff that goes on, if I can find that rest in Jesus, I'm fine. If I can find that place of rest in him, I'm okay. And at the moment, for me, it's a place that I manage to find, but I don't yet live there. I'm moving in and out of it. I find it easier to get there these days, but I still don't live there. But I want to live in that place of absolute rest in him. So that whether I'm having the time of my life or whether I'm having the worst tragedy ever, I know it's okay. I'm in him. He's in me. And it's all going to be fine. So I want to finish with a song uh, called Peace Be Still by the Belonging Company. And um, yeah, it's just a beautiful song. But I, 
I just want to encourage you, whatever that means for you, and it'll mean different things for different people, but I really think we've got to learn to prioritize finding that place of rest and peace in him, whatever that means. And I think, and again, the challenge is that it's very much an experiential thing than a theological thing. It's an experiential thing rather than a mind thing. It's why we're talking a lot about spirit versus mind and the, the ability to operate in and from your spirit because it's in it. we are meant to actually experience him in an actual proper way. But again, that's challenging because to do that, we've got to get out of our mind. And that's challenging for us as well. But I believe that's where we're going. I believe that the direction as to where certainly... Uh, in terms of where we're going, that's where we've got to go. Because I think we're going to need it more than ever in the world we're living in and the world we're going to live in. If we don't manage to find that place of resting in, we're going to struggle hugely. We're just going to struggle hugely. Because um, as much as I want our world to get a nicer place and an easier place to be, I don't think it's going to be. Not yet. He will do eventually when he restores it all. But it may well, yeah, you know. Okay, so I want to finish with this song. And um, yeah, again, do, do whatever's helpful for you. Thanks, Matt. Father, we just want to thank you. We just want to thank you, Lord, for your peace and your goodness, Lord. We want to thank you, Lord, that everything you taught us is so that the peace which is in you will be in us and will give us great confidence as we rest in you. And Father, we want to be a people that have great confidence because we're at rest in you, Father. And we are asking, Lord, that you might teach us more and more and that we might learn more and more what it actually means to rest in you and to still those storms on the inside of us, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, you would help us become fully awake, Lord, to those storms that are inside of us so we might see them plainly and clearly, Lord, and be able to speak to them, Lord. And I thank you that once, we, once we're fully awake, Lord, they can be stilled. Those storms inside of us can be stilled, Lord. And I want to thank you for your incredible peace, Lord, that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.